The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest is Brenda Watson. Brenda Watson is a health practitioner who has focused her career on uncovering the links between overall health and digestive health. She's a New York Times bestselling author, a frequent health expert on national television, well-known for her presentations on PBS. Brenda Watson is here today to talk about her new book and PBS special, Heart of Perfect Health, The Startling Truths About Heart Disease and the Power You Hold to Stop It. Brenda, welcome to Health Watch. Thank you. Yes, I'm on the line now. Great. It's it's good to have you here. So, uh, you, your um, background is uh, is in digestive health, and you're now writing a book on heart disease. and And I don't think most people make the connection between the two, but there actually is quite a, a big connection between digestive health and and cardiovascular health. Right. My <clears throat> new book and PBS show that's out um, now is called Heart of Perfect Health, and it's the sixth sixth PBS show that I've done. Basically, mostly always on digestive issues, uh, digestive health. And so the correlation was very clear, as you well know, as, as things have evolved in the last 10 years uh, of the, <clears throat> the the role that silent inflammation plays in, you know, cardiovascular disease and knowing that a big part of silent inflammation comes from a condition called leaky gut. So, so, so tell us a little bit about um, the way in which inflammation in, in the digestive tracts would actually lead to uh, an increased risk of a heart attack or stroke or, or high blood pressure. Well, actually, <clears throat> there are three markers that you have silent inflammation, and I'll kind of go backwards on this and get to the gut. But if you have high cholesterol, if you have high blood pressure, if you have high uh, sugar, fasting glucose levels, and if you have uh, obesity or a lot of it, especially abdominal fat, those are markers, and those markers mean you have silent inflammation. Now, if you slammed your finger in a door and the finger swelled up, you would know you have acute inflammation because it would hurt. But what people don't realize is they're developing the process of silent inflammation sort of a, it's a precursor. So as this, these markers are going up, silent inflammation is developing in the body. High cholesterol and, and high blood pressure are signs of it. So how do you get there? Well, it starts in one major point in the body is in the gut. So you have a, a, a mucosal lining in your digestive tract all the way through the whole 30 feet. But in that mucosal lining, it sheds and rebuilds itself every three to five days. And it's like a screen on the window of your house. So once you've eaten food or taken supplements, they're digested and the nutrients, vitamins and minerals are supposed to enter your bloodstream. And that's how they feed the cells and tissues and organs of your body. What creates the condition of leaky gut that leads to inflammation is many different things, David, as you know. It's the poor diet. It's the high sugar. It's the repeated use of antibiotics. It's the overuse of uh, ibuprofen NSAIDs. It's um, the, the high amount of chemicals and toxins in our body. And so what happens is the good bacteria becomes destroyed and lessens and the, you know, uh, the, this, this mucosal lining that's your barrier 
sheds away and inflammation develops in the gut. And once that happens, inflammatory uh, substances can enter your bloodstream, and that's what circulates through your body, creating inflammation. And when when that occurs, your you know your re- relationship to that to heart disease is, of course, you develop um, clogged arteries or atherosclerosis and uh, other conditions. But the markers that that's going on in your body is when cholesterol is elevated. It was interesting in your book, Brenda, that if you have chronic infections of any type, if you have chronic respiratory, urinary, or dental infections, for instance, that will increase your risk for cardiovascular disease going forward because of those inflammatory mediators circulating in your body from that inflammation elsewhere. Right. 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 So, so um, if, if somebody doesn't yet have high blood pressure or high cholesterol or high blood sugar, they could still have silent inflammation. What are the ways in which uh, someone could find out what their inflammatory levels are? Are there ways that listeners could assess their inflammation level? Well, sir, yes. I mean, for for one thing, you you can assess your inflammation by you can do if you wanted to see if you have leaky gut. Of course, you can do stool testing, which um, and urine testing, which shows if you have a you know an intestinal permeability. We call it in the gut. Um, you know, again, your abdominal fat is going to be a big marker if you have um, you know inflammatory uh, problem going on in the body. But testing uh, your inflammation. In terms of, you know, there's testings out, new testings out like uh, NMRs and testing the, the, you know, the the side, particle size of cholesterol. And there's many ways now to test uh, cholesterol differently than just a total cholesterol number, as you well know. And and also the inflammatory markers, C-reactive protein. You, you mentioned. Oh, absolutely, yes. C-reactive protein is a big uh, indicator uh, of of inflammatory. Um, Processes going on in the body, for sure. Yes, and and you had a, you mentioned an interesting fact in Heart of Perfect Health that if someone has a high C reactive protein, that is a, a, an indicator that they're more likely to develop high blood pressure later on, mm-hmm. which is interesting. So there are it looks like there's some ways to do early early monitoring intervention before you even have some of these outward signs. Right, and there's good questions in the book, you know, questions to ask your doctor, the new testing, like I was talking about, the NMRs on particle size. And there's just some, you know, things that we need to be, we need to be an educated patient, of course, if we're going to the doctor and getting these tests uh, run, we need to know what to ask for. And I think, you know, some of this is just, uh, I'm a big advocate of being your own health advocate. So being an educated uh, consumer uh, when you go to the doctor. The other thing I think that's really elusive to people is and one of the things that really brought me, brought this awareness to me about the markers and about, you know, I I had in in the book, I talk about my husband's um, challenge with cholesterol for over a 10-year period, and he had just really high cholesterol. It would would range sometimes from 5 to 800. Wow, that is remarkably high. It is remarkably high. And he could go to, you know, we have a uh, a doctor who is... um, more alternative and go and and he could you know take the sugar out of his diet take omega-3s no statins he would never take statins but he would within 
four to five weeks, he could he could get it back down. But what would happen is he, the whole diet would slowly go out the window. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sugar would creep back in, which is the biggest, biggest, biggest factor in the diet. And I'm not talking just table sugar. I'm not talking just soda, but also carbohydrates. So <clears throat> over a period of time, he would get it back down, and it would elevate again. And then one day, uh, about three years ago, I said, when is it, when are you going to start? And he said, well, that diet and exercise doesn't seem to work. And I said, it doesn't periodically. I can tell you that. <laughs> It, it has to be a lifestyle. Come on. Right. So, Well, let me ask you about that. You, you mentioned cholesterol and your husband and then sugars. The paradigm that most people hear when they go to their conventional doctor is uh, cholesterol is the main problem, eat less fat. And, and your yeah. book really looks at, it, at the uh, situation in a different way. So first of all, tell us why you don't think cholesterol is as much of the culprit as uh, conventional medicine is, has thought previously, and also why your dietary recommendations are quite different. Well, because um, when I, you know, looked at, went through the process with him and uh, many other people on this this diet and cholesterol. Cholesterol is your helper. So if you look at cholesterol, eighty five percent of cholesterol is produced in the liver, and fifteen percent of cholesterol comes from your diet. Most people don't know that, David. They think that we're getting a lot of cholesterol from the food that we're eating. You see what I mean? So what happens in the body to elevate cholesterol is when ele- cholesterol um, is is your helper. So it's elevated because it's going to go to the part of the body that needs the help. That's 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 got the inflammation, so to speak. So when cholesterol is elevated... It's a signal that somewhere in your body it's needing help. So you have the cholesterol that goes to that area, and then it recirculates back to the liver to be recycled. You see what I mean? So it's not that it's a bad guy. It's a good guy. And so it's trying to help you. So what what I found out with him was that with the sugar feeding that cholesterol in the forms of carbs also, that we have a really wrong assumption in many cases in this country because cholesterol is really being fed by the carbohydrates, not by the fats. The fats are not feeding the cholesterol. If you took take people and put them on, um, you know, the good fats and, and lower the amount of, of sugar and carbs in their diet, immediately these cholesterol levels went down. His cholesterol level went from 486 to 172 in six weeks. Well, it's certainly true that the science is starting to bear out the idea that if you restrict uh, refined uh, carbohydrate, refined sugars and flours mm-hmm. that you can have improved cardiac profiles yes. with lab tests. And that was something I think even 10 or 15 years ago was scoffed at, the idea that you could eat a diet that had less of the refined carbohydrates and had more fat could actually lower your cholesterol. Yes, and one of the amazing people I interviewed in the book there, Heart of Perfect Health, is Dr. Bill Davis, who um, wrote the book Wheat Belly. And he's a preventive cardiologist. And I was just, you know, I've been a nutritionist for 20 years in the field of integrative medicine, worked to, had my own health clinics back in the 90s and worked with many doctors in my clinics uh, many years ago. And when when I, I used to teach about gluten and wheat and, you know, refined carbohydrates, but, you know, it's been an uphill climb with the 
sort of the information we're fed by the food companies about the high-grain, low-fat diets. But when I interviewed Dr. Davis, and Dr. Davis has seen over and over and over in patient after patient after patient in his practice where taking the levels of, uh, uh, you know, the wheat and all out of the diet and then, you know, putting in uh, quality protein, plenty of vegetables, uh, a little amount of fruit, that the amazing results happened in his patients, thousands of patients. In case you just tuned in, we're talking to New York Times bestselling author Brenda Watson about her new book and PBS special, Heart of Perfect Health. So one of the ways in which you address this, which is a way you can also address obesity, is you restrict people on how much of grains that they're consuming. But when you say low carbohydrate, you don't mean low dark green leafy vegetables, for instance, which are carbohydrates. No. Um, One of the things I've... I've done in the book is try to get people to understand teaspoons of sugar, okay? So that was the program that I started working with, with a lot of the people um, that I started helping with the high blood pressure and high cholesterol was, um, okay, let's take this concept. If you have seven liters of blood in your body and it takes one teaspoon of sugar to be balanced and in a day... In a day, you need 8 to 10 teaspoons of sugar in all of the food that you're eating to be normal. How do we get people to to teaspoons of sugar? Well, if you look at any serving of fruit or vegetable, you can quickly get that information on how much sugar is actually in a serving of fruit or vegetables. And then what we did was we took all carbohydrates. So if you, for example, we have a formula. And really interesting, David, is as I was writing this book, the New York Times, I mean, the uh, Wall Street Journal came out with a whole article about how the food companies were going to have to change the labeling in the next five years to reflect teaspoons of sugar in the serving, whether it's boxed pasta or what it is, because people here don't relate to carb grams. So that's the formula I've been working. So if you put someone on 8 to 10 teaspoons of sugar a day and you go into a grocery store and you look at a label, let's take the average pasta label. An average serving of pasta that the food company gives you on a box is 2 ounces. That is a little teeny bit. (laughs) So if you take the total carb amount minus the fiber – which in the average pasta, it comes out to be about 40 grams of carbs. If you divide that by five, you get the teaspoons of sugar in that serving. So, for example, the average serving of pasta for two ounces is eight teaspoons of sugar. So you'd already reach your daily limit with that small amount of pasta. Right. One French fry, one medium French fry at a fast food place is 11 teaspoons of sugar. And that's what our children are eating as well as adults. And that's why we're making more and more uh, children that will develop heart disease earlier and earlier. But, the, but David, the people aren't getting that. They get the soda, I'm sure, and they get the, you know, I, I talk to people all the time. lady was saying the other day, you know, the way I reduce sugar is I started looking at all these, <clears throat> like, actually healthy-looking uh, juice drinks, that that you buy in a, in a even in a, a natural product store, you know they they're juicy. Said, and I started looking on the label, and I was 
I was consuming so much sugar, I just cut those out and immediately lost four or five pounds. Well, it's interesting, even you know, in, in the nutrition debate and also in the cardiovascular diet debate, if you look at both extremes, the people who are going, say, like Dean Ornish for a very yep. low-fat low diet and people like Dr. Atkins who are going for a very low-carb diet, the one thing that everyone seems to agree on is, the, is that it's beneficial to reduce refined flours and sugars as a percentage of your total intake of food. That seems to be a consensus on both ends of the spectrum. Yes, you're, you're absolutely correct on that. And I think that, um, you know, if you look at, um, you know, some of the data on, uh, like, for example, whole wheat, because you go, oh, it's whole wheat. And you look at some of the de- debate, you know, on that and looking at, okay, a whole piece, two pieces of whole wheat bread have two tablespoons of sugar or the same as a Snickers bar. So go eat a Snickers bar. Do you know what I mean? But people perceive those two, te- to, to those two slices of whole wheat bread as healthy. And I think getting people to understand that we need 8 to 10 teaspoons a day, and the average American on a good diet is getting 37, and on a poor diet that has a lot of fast food in it, it's probably getting around 86 teaspoons. Well, that it, is a lot. You mentioned in the book also, especially for people who already have type 2 diabetes, that it's useful to do regular daily glucose monitoring where you're looking at your reaction to specific foods a couple hours after you eat. Can you, can you explain that to listeners? Yes, because the, that's, the, that the seems fast- even more useful and individualized. Yes, the, the fasting glucose levels. Now, here's what was studied. Like if you go to your doctor and you have a test and you get your fasting glucose, uh, glucose level and it's in the morning and it's anywhere from probably 85 to 99 you're considered normal and one of the reasons that I advocate testing yourself periodically before you know in between doctor visits and even maybe every week is the fact that they have found that if your fasting glucose levels stay over 85 not 99 over 85 long term you're going to have heart disease so this is the other little caveat where people aren't aware that they are consuming, I mean, that their blood sugar levels they're assuming are normal when, in fact, over 85 all the time is elevated and they're going to set themselves up for heart disease. So... Um... Let's let's move on in the in our final minutes, Brenda, and oh, talk okay. and talk about your Hope Diet. So some of the some of the um, things that you institute with most of your cardiac patients as as treatment and prevention. Well, I look at something from the diet perspective, which we've already talked about, is controlling the sugar and carb intake. But the real role is something I've called the Hope Formula. And it's getting high fiber, getting fiber into the diet. H stands for high fiber. Omegas is the probably the central role in, in the formula, omega-3 supplementation. And the other thing that I educate people on is are you getting enough omega-3? If you look at the average consumer, if they're, if, if they're looking at taking an omega-3 supplements, they have to learn how to read the label. Because in most supplements, it'll say 1,000 milligrams of fish oil on the front of the label. But when you look at the actual omega-3, and remember omega-3 is the one, it's what's really helping you with uh, the inflammatory, with the silent inflammation. So if you look at, you know, a thousand milligram capsule and 
300 milligrams is omega-3. The other 700 milligrams is just saturated fat, so that's not really beneficial. And if you look at the what you know, and all the cardiologists that I interviewed and everybody that I've worked with, we know that in prevention of heart disease, you need about 3,000 milligrams a day of omega-3, but in actual um, reversing heart disease, the, the preventive cardiologist wants you up to about 5,000 milligrams of omega-3. And 5,000 so, milligrams of omega-3 isn't the same as 5,000 milligrams of fish oil. You're exactly right. It's actually quite a bit more to get that EPA and DHA fraction. Right. So what you need to do is read your labels and understand if you get a 1,000-milligram capsule that has a 1,000 milligrams of omega-3, then you're there. You can take three a day. So this is part of the education. Also with omega-3, I, I like to, for people to understand the IFOS, uh, International Fish Oil Standard stamp of approval means that it's third-party tested, so it has no contaminants. That's an important factor that sometimes the cardiologists say, oh, well, it, you know, they want to give you something prescription-wise, but when you go to stores, if they, it has the IFOS certification, then that's a quality uh, supplement. And then in the P in the hope is probiotics. And you, you mentioned some really interesting things in Heart of Perfect Health about some preliminary research with probiotics, not only for inflammation, but actually for lowering cholesterol. Yes. I thought that some, was interesting. Yeah. And, and, and probiotics, of course, is the first sort of uh, I guess you could say destructive thing, the destructive, I guess, what, what's destructed in the gut first. So you get, you know, rid of your friendly bacteria, negative bacteria takes over. That's where the inflammation starts. And probiotics, you know, in, on your immunity are very important. But in managing inflammation, there's major data starting to support the management of inflammation. People don't realize a probiotic is a multivitamin for your gut. It's much more than just friendly bacteria. Immunity, managing inflammation, making vitamins B and K, um, you know, digesting your foods. If you look at the full spectrum of a probiotic, everyone needs these every day because they're being destroyed simply by what we're drinking in our water or, you know, we're getting antibiotics in a lot of the meats that we're consuming. Yeah, more antibiotics in, in meats. I think it's something like, I, I don't know if this is correct, but I read something around 70, 80% of the antibiotics in the U.S. Yeah. are going to our animals. Yes, yeah. That's, that's incredible. In their water. <laughs> right. So um, and let's talk about the last part of the HOPE diet is enzymes. What do you mean by enzymes and, and what, are they, what are they good for for your patients? Well, in enzymes specifically, digestive enzymes like uh, protease, amylase, and lipase, which is protein digestion, starch digestion and fat digestion and that's a good preventive because if you're if you're if your digestion's compromised then what happens to food in your digestive tract is it becomes more of a toxin producer, which also feeds the uh, leaky gut and, you know, the, the whole inflammatory process that goes on in the digestive tract. So just a digestive enzyme with your meals is very, very helpful. And has there been any research on that around inflammation or, or heart outcomes at all? Well, not not so much, but I can tell you that we do watch people take enzymes and then do stool testing on them, and 
in, in our stool testing, uh, if we run a, what's called a comprehensive stool analysis, what we see is in, in, a, pre, um, in a pre-test where we, we don't give them enzymes, we see they have undigested protein, starches, and fats in their stool. But once we give them enzymes for a period of three months and then we retest, we see that they're now digesting these foods. Now, there is another thing, David, that I will write more about in the future, and that is systemic enzymes. And that's something totally different than digestive enzymes in that these are enzymes you take on an empty stomach that begin to clean up the blood. Well, so. before we end today, I just wanted to mention that one of the fun things about reading your book is it's got these great photographs and illustrations, yeah. these, these crazy images of, or drawings and illustrations of the insides of blood vessels and of fat cells. And it's very, uh, it's very evocative and colorful to, to read the book. Thank you. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher with pictures. Yeah, and, and then you also have a nice section on, on recipe and meal planning yes, with and some pretty got, tasty looking foods. Right, and that's the whole teaspoons of sugar. Every one of the recipes gives you the teaspoons of sugar per serving. And also in the back, I have the graphs and charts of all the different foods and what ty- how much sugar is in them. Well, we should, we should mention in, in the final moment um, that you, you really stress at the beginning of the book that atherosclerosis is something that is actually not only preventable but reversible in some people. Yes, Yes, actually it is. And and, um, that is something like it's never too late to start for anyone out there listening. Um, One of the things I I talk about in the show in the book is my father who had had triple bypass surgery and was on 17 medications and at 70 years old decided to do something different. And within three or four months, he was off all medication for diabetes, the whole thing. He was off of all medication and had lost 30 pounds and changed his life. Uh, Well, do you have a website you can direct our listeners to? Yeah, go to brendawatson.com. It's real easy. And any other final thoughts for our listeners about Heart of Perfect Health? No, I just encourage everyone to watch it and know that this is really easy. I always say if my husband can do it, anyone can. Uh, But it is an easy thing to do. And once you feel better, and, you know, I've been in this for, like I said, well over 20 years, working in clinics, helping people. And I will tell you, once you start to feel better and you feel in control of your health, it just changes your whole life. Well, it's a pleasure having you on Health Watch today, Brenda. Thank you, David. We're talking today with Brenda Watson, the author of the book and PBS special Heart of Perfect Health. If you missed part of today's interview or want to hear other archived HealthWatch interviews, you can go to the iTunes podcast store and search for HealthWatch, or you can go to my website, drnaman.com backslash HealthWatch. 